If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. And normally I say a few words before we read, but today we're going to go right into the text. And it says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. And I ask that if you would, I'm, I'm coming down with the cold, so if you'd pray for me as I'm praying for us, I would appreciate it, just so we don't have a coughing fit this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we... Uh, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this truth that we're about to expound on this morning. That you have blessed those. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Lord, we know that there's so much packed into just these few words. We ask that you would help us to understand them, to grasp them, Lord, to mourn rightly, and to put our hope in the comfort that is to come. Father, would you empower me by your spirit to speak these words and to, to expound on this word rightly. Lord, for the good of this church and this, these people here. We know that, as your word says, and as Christ said in the parable, that there are many things that distract us and, and, and uh, want to take the seed of the gospel and grab it and snatch it away, as, he talk, as you spoke of in the parable of the sower. Lord, we ask that that would not be able to happen today, Lord, but instead that you would keep Satan from snatching the gospel away from the minds and hearts of the people who hear it, Lord, that it wouldn't fall into rocky soil, Father, that it would not um, fall into the pathway where it can get trampled and where, where the soil is hard, but instead it would, it would land in good soil this morning, Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is we consider the idea of blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted is this. Those who have been blessed with conversion will mourn sin and its results. Those who have been blessed with conversion will mourn sin and its results. The reason I'm framing it like this is because we have to understand once again what the Beatitudes are for. So often for myself, I think through the years as I read the Beatitudes, I looked at them and said, okay, this is the, how I need to make myself. This is what I need to be like. And so we saw last week, or two weeks ago, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I said, I need to make myself poor in spirit. And then the kingdom of heaven can be mine. And we actually saw that what's happening in these Beatitudes is that God is talking about those people who are blessed. Those people who already know him. This is, this is what his people look like. Those who have been given the gift of faith, who have been regenerated, who have been born again, they're poor in spirit because they know that they can't do anything on their own. We'll see this morning that those who have been blessed are those who mourn, and we're going to see exactly what it is they mourn over. But before we get into any of that, we just want to consider our first point, blessed are those who mourn. Another way of, of saying this is, and some translations will put it this way, is happy are those who mourn, which makes, it feels like zero sense, right? Happy are those who mourn. That's about as backwards of a statement as there ever has been to the human mind, right? Yes? Okay. Happy are those who mourn. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Here's what you and I know, though, this morning, is that you have mourned, right? Almost everyone here, I'm sure, has lost someone in this life, and they've mourned that. Things go wrong, and maybe someone you love 
passes away. Or you have mourned the fact that just in your life, things didn't go the way you wanted. The person you intended to marry ended up saying, I actually don't want to marry you. Um, the, maybe, maybe your team lost yesterday, and you went and you, you know, your wife can attest to the fact that you were in mourning uh, yesterday evening after they lost. Maybe. Um, here's what we know, though. Everyone has mourned. And here's what else we know. That the best that our world, as it looks at just the mess that is this world and its fallen state, the best they can eke out as a way of meaning as it looks at it is to say, well, you know, we would never really know true happiness if it wasn't for some, for some bad times to come. That's the best our world can give us. That's as good as it gets. But we're going to see this morning, there is so much more to mourning for the Christian now remember, we're in the Beatitudes. It's a description of those who have God's blessing. If we look back into the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as God is setting out what his people look like, how they are to act and live and be, he tells them, here is my covenant. If you will do the things I tell you to do, you will be blessed. If you don't do the things I tell you to do, you will be cursed. And so for us, when we see this idea of blessing, it is this idea carrying that These are God's people who are being blessed because they are part of his covenant. So for us, we say, if you are a Christian, if you're in a right relationship with God, you're going to be someone who mourns. And maybe for you, you've been considering following Jesus, and you say, well, if that's the case, I can mourn anywhere. Just hold on, because there's a certain kind of mourning that we're talking about here. Those who are blessed by God with the gospel are those who mourn. But what kind of mourning is it? Well, first of all, it's mourning our sin. This follows from the verse before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we see that there are folks who are poor in spirit. And if you remember, we said that folks who are poor in spirit are those who say, I can't do this on my own. I can't make myself right with God. I can't do enough good works. I can't feed enough hungry people. I can't, whatever it is that you try to do to make yourself right before God, I can't do enough. I'm not good enough, and I need Jesus. Well, this kind of continues, and that's how we get to this idea of mourning, being well, mourning for our sin. And as you'll see as we walk through these Beatitudes, there's a progression that happens. The realization that you can't make yourself right on your own and that you're a sinner was the first Beatitude. And this one now is, the mourning process that happens when you say, I am a sinner and I can't do anything. This is the response to being poor in spirit. If you are truly poor in spirit, you realize just how great our God is and how not that great you are. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, shows us this. I would encourage you to turn there with me just for a moment. I'll give you some time to get there. Isaiah chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5. While you're turning there, I want you to consider the fact that we actually sing a couple of great songs that have a lot to do with this topic this morning. Our last set of congregational singing started with Behold Our God. And that's what we're going to see that Isaiah is doing here. He is beholding his God. When we have actually beheld our God, when we have seen him in his glory, it's going to cause a response in us that is hopefully similar to Isaiah's response. 
Here's what it says. Chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. You have one more second. I hear some pages rustling. <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Just real quick, the king has died, but Isaiah is seeing the true king, the one who is actually on the throne. Whether or not you like the king, the people who are above you, we know there is a true king, and it's the Lord seated on his throne. Verse 2, Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now listen. You have to understand that this wild creature, creatures called seraphim, who it's hard to even imagine them with our eyes. They have six wings, and it's just probably if we saw them, we wouldn't know what to do with them. And even them, as majestic and awesome as they would be to us as humans looking at them, even they, at the sight of God, cover their faces in light of his glory. And here's what Isaiah says. Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. There's a response. He understands and knows that he is a man whose lips are unclean. There are things that he has said, words that have come out of his mouth, maybe those of hate, maybe those of frustration, maybe those of just unpure things. Who knows what it is? He says, my lips are unclean, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He, he's not saying that I'm, I'm like the, the sinful, uh, the sinful um, exception here. But it's the rule among my people. That they are folks who are unclean, who love sin. And because of that, he says, Woe to me, for I am ruined. These are heavy words. As Isaiah realizes the reality that his sin before a holy and righteous God means that he is ruined. We see Isaiah is truly mourning his sin one more place to look this morning is Romans chapter 7. A set of scriptures that, for me, um, when I discovered these, was some of the most encouraging scripture because I realized that the Apostle Paul, as great as he is, and as, as wonderful things as he did for God's kingdom, did not always get everything right. And he struggled with sin and he mourned his own sin. <clears throat> Starting in verse 19, he says this, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. 
where in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in, my, in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Now before 24, I want you to see this. To sum it up, because the way he's describing this kind of goes back and forth, essentially it's this. I want to do what God wants me to do. I am a prisoner to the sin that remains in me because of the flesh. And therefore, I don't always do it. In 24c, what he proclaims, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul mourns his sin. And he says, I am a wretched man. He wants to obey God's law, but he can't do it. And his response naturally then is to mourn that sin. Now I gave us these two examples just to see that this is something that is not out of context and out of, out of the norm for the Christian life, but instead when you are presented with the holiness of God, his law, his character, as Isaiah saw, that there will be a realization that I am a sinner. There is no good within me. And it should produce in you mourning, grieving over that sin. But maybe you're thinking, and a lot of people would say today, that we shouldn't do this, right? It's, it's far too negative. It's far too detrimental to the message we're trying to proclaim. And you say, you'll never get people in the door with preaching like that and encouraging people to mourn and grieve over their sin. But you have to understand something. That the conviction of the Holy Spirit is something that is absolutely, completely, 100% necessary if salvation is to come. God does not save another way. If for you, you, you came up to the front and you made a profession of faith and you were baptized and it was not because you felt a conviction of sin that you needed to deal with to be right before God, that means the Holy Spirit was not part of it. If there was no conviction of sin, then you were doing something else completely. Many come to Christ for the benefits, but not actually being saved from sin. Many want to be saved from the consequences, but not the actual sin that grieves God. But if there's no true burden on you, there's no true repentance, because there must be something to repent from. In John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the main character, gets a hold of the Bible and he reads it. And as he's reading God's Word and he sees the goodness and the holiness of God, something starts happening. A burden begins to grow on his back, like a great big backpack. Maybe not a backpack, but a, but, but a pack that one would, would carry things in on a long journey. Maybe, yeah, a backpack is a good example. Have you ever seen a backpacker on the... On the the AT, the Appalachian Trail, they have these ginormous backpacks, right? And they're on your back, and they're huge. Christian has this burden that begins to grow. And he even cries out at one point, what must I do to be saved? And when he's speaking to this one called the evangelist, he says, I fear that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grace, and I shall fall into hell. But here's the thing for Christian. He never would have began his journey from the city of destruction if he had not had that burden placed on his back. Because before that burden went onto his back, everything was cheery. Everything was fine. He could get along in life. But when that burden of conviction of sin is placed 
onto you, you come to a point where you say, I can do nothing until I get rid of this. The journey to salvation, for him, the journey to the hill of salvation, where finally at the foot of the cross, the burden was loosened and it falls down the hill and rolls into Jesus' open tomb, which is, if you've ever seen this portrayed in a movie, it is a beautiful scene to see. But that journey of salvation begins only because he mourned over his sin. He didn't mourn over the consequences. He didn't mourn over anything but the fact that he was displeasing to God. We do not mourn over our sin because of what it's going to cause us, but because we are sinning against a holy and righteous God who is dishonored in our sin. So blessed are those who mourn over their sin, but blessed are those also who mourn the result of sin. There's a mourning that comes from the results of sin. Sin entered this world in the Garden of Eden at an event that we call the fall, where Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they broke God's law. And after that, everything began to unravel, and things got turned upside down from the way they were supposed to be. God made man to work in the garden, to work on this earth, but he said, now it's going to be, you're going to work and work and work, and it's only going to produce a little bit. Things fall apart. Death entered the world. And now as we look around and we see the things that make us mourn today, those are all things that are a result of the fall. Some people aren't sure if this is a a right kind of mourning that's being described here. But we know that Christ is our example, the one who would fulfill all these things. He mourned, but he did not mourn his own sin. He also mourned the results of sin in the world. He mourned at the death of his friend Lazarus. and says he wept. There's a lot of debate on what exactly he's weeping over. Is it the death of his friend? Because he knows that his friend's going to be resurrected again by him in just a few moments. Is it the unbelief of the people? Maybe. Is it just the pain of death that the rest of his friends feel? But he mourns. He mourns again later over the hard-hearted city of Jerusalem, who he says kills its prophets, who have come to tell them the good news. He mourns. And we, Christians, we mourn over the hurt and the brokenness of this world. For us, you probably saw a Facebook post that we post, that Sarah posted last night. And we, we've been asking for prayer for a family called the Markles who had a daughter who um, was born with her organs not in the right places. Some were outside, and there was all this stuff happening. And she had to go into countless machines. And she, last night, at, uh, or yesterday at some point, at 10 weeks and 3 days old, if my math is right, went to be with Jesus. And when we see things like that, we look around and we see that the world is not right. We know that this world is messed up. We know that things are not the way that they should be. But for the Christian, we mourn differently than the world mourns. Because the world looks and it mourns differently, and it mourns in a way often that puts God 
and contempt and says, what a shame. If God was real, he would have stopped that. What a shame that all these things are so random and happening. We mourn the randomness is what so many people actually end up mourning. So many mourn the disdain. Or they, they, don't, they don't mourn, but actually disdain how things are. But there should be a difference for the Christian. We mourn because we know that there is something better. We know there's a way that things are supposed to be. Unfortunately, many Christians get into the wrong kind of mourning. Even as they look on the world, they watch the news, they see people who are lost and going to hell. Instead of mourning for their sin, for where they're going, they look on them with disdain. They look on them with contempt. They despise this world and the godless culture instead of looking at it and mourning as Christ mourned for Jerusalem. Many of us today as Christians look around and we have no use for the world in our minds and the brokenness of it because it doesn't suit us. It doesn't, it's not like we want it to be. It's not the way it was when we grew up. And so instead, we don't mourn it the way that Christ mourns over it, but instead we say, well, it's just all messed up and I don't want anything to do with it anymore. But this is not the way Christ mourns over this broken world. We are to see it and we are to mourn. To mourn for war, to mourn for injustice, to mourn the culture of death, both the natural death that comes because of sin and the unnatural death that, that people with fallen minds are, are doing whenever they do things like kill babies before they are born. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope, church. In fact, the conclusion of this beatitude tells us the good news, that though God's people mourn, and we are to mourn rightly over our sin and over the state of this world, Though we mourn, we are blessed because we will be comforted. We may be even comforted right now. There are times when God shows up in big ways and he comforts us in our mourning. And he shows us just how good he is here and now on this earth. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we pray and pray and pray for a solution and forgot to do something, and he doesn't do it. <clears throat> and for us, we say, when we mourn, and we say, where were you, God? But we have to understand that there's comfort coming. It may come now, but it will come. We are certain in eternity. There's a hope not fully realized in this life, and we're going to continue to struggle with sin and to struggle with suffering the effects of sin in this world, but one day God will give us complete and final comfort. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5 say this. Actually, let's turn there first. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. 
Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then I saw the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Those who mourn for their sin right now, those of you who have sins that you've struggled with, temptations you've struggled with from the day that you came to Christ, when you even struggle with them now and you mourn over them now, take heart because one day he is making you new. <coughs> for all of us who mourn the fact that you've lost a child, that you've lost loved ones, that you're battling cancer, that your life fell apart financially, that your marriage fell apart, whatever it is, know that one day you will be comforted. All the things that are bad and sad and painful, and even death itself will become, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, it will all become untrue. All the bad things of this world becomes untrue. Those who mourn over the things that God would have us mourn over, the things that breaks God's heart itself, if that is what we are mourning, then one day we will be comforted. So if you're here this morning, and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never mourned for your sins, and you don't do it now, I want to ask you if you would consider the song we sang, Behold Your God. Because guess what? If he, is your God, or if he is who we say He is, and we believe that is the case, whether you believe it or not, He is your God. Whether you've recognized Him as such or not. He is your God. And I hope that you would behold Him. That you would look on Him and see His holiness and understand that you are a sinner. That you're supposed to be like Isaiah and Paul. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from my sin? And I hope that you will mourn that fact because your sin is against a holy and righteous and loving God. And that sin will one day end in his judgment of that sin. So would you consider his holiness? Consider how your sin does not meet his righteous requirement. And then would you mourn that sin and come to him and say, I need him to take my sin. Would you become poor in spirit and say, I, only, I, I can only be saved if Christ would save me. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you're, you're one who you've made a profession of faith before, would you consider your conversion? Would you consider your attitude towards sin over the years? We're all going to struggle to get this right. There's times when we mourn our sin more, and there's times when we mourn our sin less. 
the question I hope you'll ask yourself if you have made a profession of faith is what was your motivation when that profession was made? Did you just make it because you hated the consequences and the idea of the consequences? Or did you make it because you hated the idea that you had sinned against a holy and righteous God? Is it hell that you were afraid of in mourning? Or was it the desecration of the image of God within you? Or was it God's own holiness put in contempt by you that makes you have a bad taste for sin? And Christian, if you're here this morning, I hope you'll consider your attitude towards the world, this fallen world. For so many of us, we're on this world long enough to where we see that things aren't the way they were when we grew up. Things aren't the way that we know they should be and that we've seen them be in the past. And instead of having an attitude where we mourn for those things the way God mourns for them, the way his heart sees them, instead of mourning for them as Christ mourned over Jerusalem, as he mourned for the Jewish people there around Lazarus' tomb who didn't believe that he could be resurrected, do you mourn in that way? Or do you look at it and run your nose up in the air and just say, well, at least I've got mine and I'm better than that. I have no need for that world. I hope and I pray that you will mourn rightly because only then will you do what you need to do to fulfill the Great Commission, to be on mission for Christ and his kingdom. If you have mourned, and for the believer, the unbeliever, everyone in this room, we understand that those who mourn sin and its effects in our own heart and in the world know that one day you will be comforted and take joy in that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, give us right mourning today. Give us a right view of our own sin and of the world full of sin. May we not look at the world as people who think that we um, are just so much better than that, as people who have no use for it because it doesn't suit us anymore. Instead, we look at it and mourn for it the way that you do. Would we care for those lost people who are dying and going to hell, who are facing your judgment without the hope of the gospel? And Lord, would you cause us as Christians to mourn our sin? As we look at every single time the revival has happened in this world, and in particular in this country, it always begins when your people see the reality of their sin and mourn it and repent of it and turn to you. Father, may we as Christians mourn our sin. If there's folks who've made professions of faith who haven't mourned their sin, Lord, would you give them an understanding that maybe they aren't actually Christians? And for those of us who've forgotten to mourn, who have left mourning behind, and said we, we've gotten close to those sins, we've nuzzled up to them, and we love them, Lord, may you give us a disgust. May you give us a love for your holiness because we see who you are. You are the God high and lifted up who not even the seraphim can look on. May we mourn our sin and the effects of sin in the world rightly and may we put our hope in the fact that one day we will be comforted. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.